Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. So please open up your, uh, however you access the word of God, and let's read together. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that would be for all people. For unto you th- this day, born in the, born, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it has been told to them. Dude, what a great story. I'm really excited about talking about this today. And I know that you probably heard this story 10,000 times. I mean, it was in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, right? So it's not like this is a, a, a passage that we've not thought about. But today, I'd like to try and have us think about it anew. I want us to try to think and, and approach this as though we had not heard it. And, and maybe, maybe you've heard 90% of the things that I'm going to talk about today. But we're looking for that 10% that maybe you haven't considered. So let's pray together. Holy and Heavenly Father, we come before you today thankful that we have the ability to open up your word and learn more about you. We pray that your spirit would be um, with us, that you would hear what it is that you want us to hear, that anything that is not of you would fall on deaf ears, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Now, as some of you who know me know, I love stories. I love movies. I love stories. It's probably my favorite thing in life. And today I wanted to start off um, with a story that, that pertains to this scripture. Um, it's not necessarily a sad story. It's not necessarily a great story. But it's the story of uh, the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, and how that was written. Um, it was actually started as a poem by Henry, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in 1861. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, I'm not going to say that a bunch of times because it's a really, we're just going to call him Longfellow. Okay, Longfellow's wife passed away. Um, She died in a house fire, actually. And in trying to save her life, his face became very scarred. And he wore a beard for the rest of his life. And when when she passed away, she left six kids for him to raise by himself. And a few years later, in 1863, his oldest son decided that he couldn't wait any longer and went and he joined the Civil War to fight for the Union Army. And he wrote a letter to his dad saying, I'm sorry, I couldn't, I know I left without your blessing, but I couldn't stand by and not give my life for my country, if that's what it was called. A few months after his son left, Henry got a letter saying that his son had been shot. And 
that the wound was probably going to take his life. So Henry hopped in a train and, and traveled halfway across the country to the eastern uh, seaboard. And he found actually that the letter was mis- miscalculating and that his son would survive and did survive. But on Christmas Day of 1863, as Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was thinking about the past few years of his life, he was very melancholy. He was very sad. And he sat down as he had done many times before to write. And just as he was writing, he heard the church bells. And all of the sudden, he changed his disposition. And he wrote the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And I want to read the last few stanzas for you, the last two stanzas. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. I think this is apropos for today, because if we look around the world, it may seem like there is no peace on earth. It may seem that hate is strong, and mocks the song that the angels sing of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now, part of that is because we don't truly understand what peace on earth, goodwill toward men means. We're going to talk about that today. But, but the second stanza is important because God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. So let's look at this scripture today. Let's dive into it and let's look at it afresh. So we're going to start like we always do uh, here at Grace Church. We've got the big idea. Um, I, I did the big idea because I'm trying to follow Kyle's example here. So um, I'm going to do my best uh, to maintain these three points. But the big idea today is that the shame of Christ's birth is balanced by the exaltation of the heavenly host. Three points I have for you today, and you're going to have to do your best. Um, like I said, I don't do this professionally. So uh, there may be times where I transition to the next point. You're just going to have to buckle up and follow along as best you can. Okay, so let's start as we look at chapter two. Starting with verse 8, a few things that I think are are worth pointing out. We set the stage. God sets the stage. And there are shepherds in their fields abiding by their flocks by night. And in the first moments of this, God surpasses our expectations. You see, shepherds at this time were considered a very lowly occupation. They were transient. Their word did not mean all that much at the time. Now, this does confound me a little bit because... A lot of our patriarchs were shepherds. You know, Moses uh, and David were actually shepherds at the time of their call. And so we see in the midst of this silent night, these shepherds who were the lowest of the low in terms of society and an angel of the Lord appears to them and the glory of the Lord shows around them. And we brush past that sentence, but I want us to really think about that. You're in rural Fremont sitting out there in a field, and an angel of the Lord appears, and the glory of the Lord shines around us, around them. A blazing light. And and what do we do when we are in the presence of the glory of the Lord? We are deathly afraid. Now, the King James Version is actually, I think, the the cooler translation of this. Not that I I like the ESV. It's great. It says that they they were filled with great fear. But the King James Version says they were sore afraid. 
Now, I don't know what sore afraid actually means, but it's, it feels like it's a whole nother level of afraid. Okay? They were sore afraid. And the, the angel immediately says, fear not, for I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. Not only don't be afraid, but I'm going to bring you news of abundant joy. For for to you this day, born in the city of David, is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now let's understand something, okay? The shepherds, they would know what this meant. Everyone would know what this meant, that Christ, the Messiah, was born. And we can't, we can't, We can't say that this was not a heavy impact. Think about this. From the beginning of creation, this moment has been waited for. From the fall, this moment has been waited for. All of the Old Testament, this moment has been waited for. For 400 years, we haven't heard from God. And an angel appears and says, For unto you this day in the city of David is a Savior that is Christ the Lord. We know that the head of Satan will be crushed with this news. We know that the captives will be free. And the interesting thing was this news was not given to the chief's priests. It wasn't given to the scribes. It wasn't wasn't given to the rulers of the time. It was given to shepherds, the lowly of the low. But I feel like this is a little bit of an understatement. I mean, listen, I don't want to tell the angel how to do his job, but good news of great joy. I mean, this is the greatest news of all time. The greatest news that will ever be. This is abundant joy. Now, here's the crazy part. The the, the angel goes on and the angel goes on to say, this will be the sign to you of this great, you know, this great news. This is how I, what I'm telling you, you will know is true. That you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That this is the way that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, will come into the earth. Think about that. That's the sign. The sign is that he is not going to be in this palace that he is going to be in a manger and that this will be so rare that you will know that, that what I'm telling you is true. So we see in Luke chapter two, verses one through seven, we see the story of the birth of Christ. And what is amazing about this is we see that Christ comes into a world where he is rejected. You see, he, she is from the line of David. They are from the line of David, and yet there is no room for them. The Christ is born with nothing in a world that rejects him. There is no inheritance for the Christ. He is placed in a feeding trough that dirty animals eat from. And this is how you will find the Messiah. Now, we don't know what type of year this what time of year this was. And because the Bible doesn't tell us, it's it's probably not important. But one of my favorite things about scripture is the layering of imagery 
that God does in his, in his book. I mean, it's like a puzzle that you can never quite figure out. And all of a sudden, you put a piece in, and then, wow, this story becomes even better. Even better than we imagined. And we see this in the birth of our Savior. You see, he was rejected. And, and at the time, it's believed that it was probably spring or summertime, based off of the context clues. And in spring or summertime, that would have been the time where other uh, animals that were going to be given for sacrifice would have been born as well. In fact, it's believed, it's, it's possible, that these shepherds were called Levitical shepherds, meaning that they were shepherds that were caring to the animals that were being prepared for sacrifice. And Christ could have been born alongside of these animals and placed in a, in a feeding trough that was made for animals of sacrifice. And this, this trough was probably not made of wood. It was probably made of stone. So think about the imagery here. Christ comes in this world rejected. He is put in a trough made of stone. He's wrapped in, in cloths as swaddling. And where else does this imagery come into play? At the tomb. Christ is laid into a tomb with a stone covering wrapped in linen, rejected by the world. Man, I love the imagery of God. I love how he does this over and over and over again. Now, we don't know some of these images. We're, I'm, I'm making some jumps here, but here's what we do know. We do know that Christ came to the earth in humiliation. He lowered himself to be a human being. He was born with nothing in a poor family, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in a feeding trough. The manifestation of God's flesh came in this form. But, but, God does not leave him that way. Because in verse 13, what happens? In verse 13, in the second portion of our scripture, we see that, that God will balance this humiliation of Christ with the exaltation because suddenly there wasn't one angel. There was a multitude of the heavenly host praising God from humiliation and shame to glorification. Now, what does this say about the angels? I think it says something because they said, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace with whom he is well pleased. They're praising God. This says that the angels don't need a savior. The angels never sinned. The angels did not have a requirement for a redeemer. And yet they are the first ones to honor Christ in the flesh. A multitude of the heavenly host. I mean, think about that. Rural part of Fremont, multitude of the heavenly host. This is amazing. And they start with glory to God in the highest. Let's break down the things that they say. They start with glory to God in the highest. And so why do they say glory to God in the highest? Well, as we read this morning, we see a lot of God's attributes in creation. We've seen a lot of God's attributes in the Old Testament. But in Jesus, in Christ, we see the fullness of God's glory. We see the fullness of his attributes. Because in Christ, we see justice. 
and we see holiness, and we see mercy, and we see goodness, we see wisdom. The angels delight in this. And the only proper response in that is to say glory to God in the highest. Because through Christ we see God at his his highest. The angels delight in the birth of his son. But the angels also say next, peace on earth. This term is so misinterpreted by the world. Peace on earth is not utopia between human beings. At least not this, not yet. It's not that ends all world wars. At least not yet. This is how the world sees peace. But, but this peace that they're talking about is the peace which transcends all understanding. It's, it's at the time Rome had conquered everyone, so they said this was a time of peace. But in all actuality, this, that wasn't peace. The peace that they're talking about is a peace between a holy God and a sinful human being. That's the peace that Christ brings. And that's what the angels are, are celebrating that day. But it also says something else about the angels. They care about the chasm that sin has represented between, between God and man. That they care about us. So the angels love God. They delight in God. They care about us. And they also say to whom he is well pleased. Some translations say goodwill toward men. Some say uh, peace with uh, those who would have goodwill toward God. Um, the Greek is actually, I'm going to totally murder this, okay? Um, en, entropios, whatever. Um, it's a really hard word to pronounce, and if you want to know how to pronounce it, you can ask Kyle later. Um, but it really means uh, those who are willing to be reconciled with God and those whom God will have goodwill toward. So essentially saying that this peace on earth goodwill will be peace for those who God will have goodwill with. We know that that's not universal, that God will not have peace with everyone because he will also have justice. But with us, his people, he will have peace. And that's something to be celebrated. So on this occasion, God will not let the humiliation of his son go without glorification. This moment must be celebrated. That brings us to our third point, what happens next. So the angels leave and the shepherds, they look at each other and they discuss for a minute and they immediately say, let's go and see this thing that has happened. And I want to talk about this for a minute because they leave and they go and see it. And I want you to think about the moment that the shepherds go to worship the Christ child and Mary and Joseph are there. And the shepherds share with Mary and Joseph what's happened to them. They share with them the fact that an angel came and the the multitude of the heavenly host. And Mary and Joseph share with the shepherds what's happened to them. And even though there was no doubt in either one of these parties that this would come about, that what what God said would happen did happen, they they were still lifted up from each other by sharing the stories, by sharing what had happened. And they went out, and afterward, the shepherds told everyone. And it says in Scripture that there was a wonder to whoever they told. The shepherds didn't keep this underneath. They told everyone. Their faith was confirmed, and they shared it. So what do we do with this? Three things for you in what we do with this, okay? First, be like the shepherds. Now, Larry and Linda are great, not those shepherds. Be like the shepherds in the story. 
Without hesitation and with faith, they acted. And they told everyone the good news of what Christ had done, of what God had done. They shared the gospel. They didn't go out and live a better life in hopes that someone would ask them, you know, I'd like to hear about why you feel changed. No, they told everyone. So be like the shepherds. But we should also be like the angels. Now, I know that we can't be like angels. So I, I love It's a Wonderful Life just as much as you do, but every time a bell wings, an angel does not get his wings. Uh, that's not in Scripture. Um, but we can emulate what the angels do in this story. And in that way, they took pleasure in God the Father. They praised him, glory to God in the highest. And they also took, took pleasure in the fact that the chasm of sin between us and God was eradicated by Christ Jesus. So we can take pleasure in those things. We can lament sin, but we can also be, be praiseworthy in the way that we love the Father. We should also be like Mary. She took those experiences, and it says in the scripture that she pondered them in her heart. We should do the same. We should remember that Christ came in humiliation and was raised in glory. And we should remember that day and night. And we should, we should study the word of God so that we better know how to glorify him. But by pondering things in her heart, she pondered these things in her heart at the birth of Christ. And it says in scripture that she also pondered these things in her heart when, when Christ was 12 and at the temple. And he was sharing with the world his relationship with his heavenly father, with his father. But she also pondered these things in her heart when he was beaten and crucified at the cross. And she also pondered these things in her heart on Sunday morning when he rose from the dead. And that's what we should do as well. Because on Sunday morning, that is the fulfillment of this scripture today. Without Calvary and the resurrection, the angels don't sing. Without Calvary and the resurrection, there is no peace on earth. There is no goodwill toward man and God. It is through Christ's birth and death and resurrection that the gift of God comes to his people. And grace is, this grace is not demanding anything from us. It is a gift. It's the gift that makes the angels sing. It's the gift that makes the, the shepherds proclaim. It's the gift that Mary holds in her heart, the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Now we should have no Advent and Easter and Christmas because every week we celebrate these things. We celebrate them at the table. Every week at the table we say glory to God in the highest. Every week at the table we say peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Every week at the table we say thank you, Lord, for being a people with whom you are well pleased. Not by what we have done, but by what Christ has done. Born with nothing, rejected, coming to earth in humiliation, but not staying there, raised in glory. This is the truest and the greatest story ever told. Please pray with me. Holy and Heavenly Father, we come before you with thanksgiving for these things. Thanksgiving that, that the angels have proclaimed that you are to be worshipped, 
to be praised, that, that you deserve all glory to you in the highest. Lord, we thank you so much for this word today. We thank you for this table. We thank you for this season. And we pray, Lord, that you would be help us to be ever mindful of the things that you love and that we would ponder all of these things in our heart. In your name we pray. Amen.